And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. And of course, uh, it's hump day as we uh, start kind of plowing through the last few days of July going to get into the heat of it, right? August coming up and that's uh, one of the hotter months of the year. But for the markets, it tends to be not as hot. So, you know, we've talked about this rally that we've had now over the last several weeks. It's been good. And yesterday we had earnings from both Microsoft and Google, both missing earnings estimates and revenues. So again, if you take a look at Microsoft, really kind of missing on their cloud growth side as well. That certainly should be some concern for a company like Amazon, whose big bulk of revenue has been coming out of the AWS side of theirs on the cloud storage business as well. But that's not really the case today. And one thing that we've talked about here for a while is that what we're looking for to determine if stocks are kind of approaching a bottom. Again, there's a lot of stocks that potentially have more downside risk to them, right? Walmart was a good example of that. Uh, missing estimates, stock was down pretty sharply yesterday. Um, but there's a lot of companies that have already been beaten down a good bit. And we've talked about before is that part of what we will see in the markets is, you know, when companies begin to miss earnings and, you know, have poor guidance, et cetera, but the stock doesn't respond negatively to the news, right? We, the stock either kind of holds in their flat or rallies. That might suggest, I'm not saying it's an absolute case, but that might suggest that stocks may have priced in a lot of the bad news already. And that may be the case here with Apple, uh, with both Microsoft and Google. Both those stocks uh, missed yesterday on earnings estimates. Uh, both stocks are trading higher this morning. Now, the whole market is also trading higher because of that. Obviously, two very big weights in the NASDAQ, in the S&P. So this morning, futures are pointing up. Dow's up about 117 points. But the Nasdaq's up over well over 1% this morning because of Microsoft and, and, and Google. Uh, the S&P's also up over 1% this morning, set to open um, at, at, at the open. So again, that may be signaling here, and we'll talk about this a little bit more uh, in the show today, that maybe we've priced in some of the bad news, right? That maybe estimates have gotten to, you know, gotten drilled down to the part where companies have, you know, or you know, even though they're bad, they're not as bad as expected. You know, we saw that with Netflix as well. They lost a million, another million subscribers. Stock rallies because they lost a million subscribers because expectations were they were supposed to lose two million, right? So, again, that we're seeing that uh, a bit of, of rally here today. Now, the other side of good news here is also is what we've been talking about here for the last couple of days. The market has been coming back down after we kind of had this nice rally, got above the 50-day moving average, broke out of that downtrend. What we said was we'd be very important for the markets here is to pull back and test that 50-day moving average, not breaking it, and then rally off of it. That's what's going to happen today. Um, we came back yesterday, closed right at the 50-day moving average. Stocks held right there. This morning, stocks should be up about one, uh, about one, 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 one and a half percent or so, uh, coming very sharply off of that 50-day moving average. So a good reflexive rally, a good retest of that 50-day, establishing that 50-day moving average now as support rather than resistance is what we had previously. 
So that's actually a very bullish sign for the markets. Now, if we can break above about 39.10 on the S&P, then that's going to help elevate the markets up here towards potentially 40.50 to 4100. That'll kind of be the next set of, of resistance levels that we're going to get to. So again, this rally today could certainly set the tone for a little bit more of a bullish trade here in the markets near term. Again, uh, MACD buy signal continues to be uh, on a buy signal. That's been supportive of asset prices. Um, got a little bit of that overbought condition worked off, but still overbought here, but not as bad. So again, that kind of lets some of the pressure off this market in this terms of this recent rally. And now we've got this potential here for the markets to move up a bit more. And, and just really kind of continuing this kind of positive trend that we've been building uh, over the course of the last three, four weeks, have been building this nice little positive uptrend of the markets. Now, it's not aggressive. And we've talked about this uh, a little bit yesterday. It hasn't been an aggressive move higher. It's been this kind of slow grind. Now, in, in a way, that's not great because that kind of slow grind is eating up a lot of that buying power that was sitting there in the markets. And that does, that does potentially put the market at risk for another downturn to potentially test these uh, recent bottoms. We'll see if that happens. Now, the other big news today, of course, is that 2 o'clock, we're going to hear from the Federal Reserve, next interest rate hike coming out today. Uh, of course, it's widely expected they're going to hike 75 basis points. That's not the big surprise. What potentially could, you know, roil the markets here a bit today is if they come out to be more aggressive in their stance towards inflation. And there's been some talk here recently, you know, by Fed officials that, you know, they are solely focused on fighting inflation. Now, they're starting to get some heat from <laughs> Elizabeth Warren and others up in Congress, really kind of pointing the finger at the Federal Reserve, saying this whole problem in the economy, it's all the Fed. They did it all. We had nothing to do with it. It's all the Fed. Um, again, you know, while the Fed's not supposed to be political, we know from past experience that they tend to kind of bend to the will of the administration a little bit more than not. So the question will be today is whether or not the Fed starts to eh, kind of drop that hint of a pivot. Are they going to kind of back off having such a strong inflationary fighting stance and start to talk about, well, you know, we're going to kind of wait and see, you know, this is, you know, and, you know, going into the, the midterm election cycle, are they going to try to pull back to help support the markets? You know, this is going to be the big question. So whatever comes out of that, uh, that conference this afternoon, so that'll be at about two o'clock this afternoon, central time, um, that could potentially move markets one way or the other. Again, if they come out extremely strong about fighting inflation, that could pull some of this, uh, you know, the steam out of the markets. Again, tighter monetary policy, slower economic growth, that's going to weigh on earnings. So maybe we haven't priced in all the earnings degradation just yet in stocks. That could weigh on markets. If they come out a little bit, little bit softer in their inflationary fighting stance, could help rally the markets. Um, you know, I don't really expect a lot of fireworks today. Wouldn't be surprising to see the Fed just come out, pretty much stick to their guns and not change anything from what they said over the last couple of weeks. Certainly another possibility. And markets may play, play with that okay. Um, again, so, you know, the important thing here, though, is markets are starting to bounce off, you know, these kind of support levels. And that's helping, you know, provide some stability to the markets, helping, you know, set markets up now for a potential for a little bit more rally as we get into mid-year. Now, again, this is July. 
typically one of the stronger months of the year. So, you know, not surprising that this market's been performing a little bit better this month, and particularly coming out of May and June, which were really, really weak months. Not surprising to see a little bit of positive action in markets. August, September tend to be a little bit weaker. So again, as we get through this month, and again, starting on Monday, Tuesday, next week, we're gonna be starting to talk about the, the month of August. What does that mean for stocks and what does that mean for portfolios? That's gonna be a whole different ballgame when we get there. Again, one hurdle at a time. Uh, Fed, Federal Reserve today, tomorrow, we get the first estimate of second quarter GDP. Atlanta Fed says it'll be negative, but a lot of uh, economists currently still pinning in a positive rate of return for second quarter GDP growth. Uh, Goldman Sachs out today with a half percent growth rate for the second quarter and increasing rates of growth for the economy in every quarter after this. They say, Goldman Sachs sees no recession on the horizon for the economy. Will they be right? Um, the first estimate tends to be kind of a, a, a consensus of, of Main Street economists. So. Again, could be on Thursday, we see a positive number, zero to slightly better um, for the economy for the second quarter. Technically, that'll keep the, the recession call at bay temporarily. That may also help boost stocks in the short term. All right, lots of stuff to get into today. Uh, it is Wednesday, of course, so stick around. More of The Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment. Show. You know, it's kind of an interesting situation that we're in right now. Um, you know, the Fed's trying to raise interest rates, and, you know, for the first time now, there, you know, there's there used to be, you know, back in back in the day, you know, a couple of years ago, the whole kind of investing mantra for the markets was Tina, which is there is no alternative to stocks, right? And so this was because interest rates were low, and because interest rates were low, then you know, you really had to chase risk because you couldn't get a return on anything else. Right. If you had money in a money market account, it yielded zero. So you were making no money on your money, having it in places of safety. Right. Now, all of a sudden, you kind of wake up and stocks are down about 20, you know, 15, 16 percent for the year now, 17 percent. And there is an alternative. You can buy a one year Treasury bill right now, have no risk to your money. Your money's going to come back to you in 12 months. And you're going to get about 3% on your money. And that's, a, that's, you know, that's about as good of a guarantee as you're going to get. We, we call treasury bonds risk-free rates of return because 
and, and the worlds of, of guarantees, right? If there's, in, and again, in the investment world, you can't ever promise a guarantee, right? You can't, you can't say that you're guaranteed to get this back. But you're as close to a guarantee as possible with a U.S. Treasury bill because the government, guarantee, you know, the government is promising to pay you back. And that's why we call, you know, treasury rates risk-free rates. So when we're looking for risk-free rates of return, we, we look at treasury bills. Everything else has risk to it. Corporate bonds, mini bonds, et cetera, all have risk, right? Defaults, et cetera. It's expected that the government will always pay its debt because they can print money, right? So as long as they've got the government printing press running and they've got paper and ink, well, they can pay, they can pay their bills when they come due. So this is one of the, you know, kind of conundrums is that now here it is for the first time there's an alternative but yet as investors we're all wanting what we want the fed to cut rates back to zero right because we want stocks to go up we want cheaper rates uh interesting headline today mortgage rates decline uh, mortgage applications decline further even as mortgage rates drop so just recently, there's been a drop in the 10-year Treasury rate as yields are starting to try to price in inflation or, or, or peak of inflation and more deflationary pressures and slower economic growth. So yields have dropped here a bit. So even though the mortgage rate has come down a bit, mortgage applications are still declining. And that's because prices are too high. And, and, and mortgage rates, despite this, this little small downtick as of late, are still much more elevated than they were a couple of years ago. So in the housing market, you know, it's, it's very psychological on two different fronts when it comes to mortgages, right? So first of all, I'm not going to refi my mortgage if, I, if I'm currently have a mortgage rate of 3%. On my mortgage, I'm not going to refi at four and a half percent. That that just makes no sense to raise my monthly house note for one reason or the other. Unless I just need to have cash out of my house for one reason or the other. So you know, if you're trying to cash out, you know, refi your house, then you know maybe you'll go ahead and refi up at a higher rate if you actually just need the cash for something to do. But most people are going to sit there and go, well, my mortgage rate is three. I'm not going to refi at four. So mortgage refis drop very sharply. New mortgage applications also drop because psychologically two things happen with the housing market. First of all, people going out to buy a house say, well, mortgage rates were a lot cheaper a couple of months ago. I'll just wait and see if mortgage rates come back down again, and then I'll go buy a house. And I'm not in the absolute rush to go buy a brand new house right now. Now, look, there's always going to be transactions in the housing market, Always. Doesn't matter what rates are. Rates could go to 10% and there'll be, still be somebody out there buying a house because they have to. They're getting transferred. They're moving somewhere. They, ha you know, they have to move somewhere for some reason or the other. And, and there's always going to be a transaction in the real estate market somewhere. There's always a buyer. There's always a seller. It'll always happen. It may not happen very rapidly, <laughs> but there's always transactions that go on. However, there is a psychological component to this that affects people two ways one is is that you know people tend to work on again and we've talked about this before when people go to buy houses they don't buy a house i don't go out and buy a a, a, a house i buy a payment right 
And so I go look at a house and I go, wow, this house is great. It's wonderful. And I can get this for the low monthly down payment of $600 a month, whatever it is. And that fits in my budget, right? I can afford $600 a month. At $800 a month, eh, I can't really afford that. And so when mortgage rates go up, two things happen with buyers. One, they know rates were low. And there's been a long history of declining interest rates. So most buyers are now aware that even though rates may pop up temporarily, they'll go back down again. So they may wait to make a purchase. The other side of it is, is they can't afford to make the purchase. And this is why we see housing activity slowing down. So what does this have to do with what I'm, what I'm getting to here? Low rates. This is what we all need, Right. We are a debt-driven society, and, and everything we're doing is based upon debt in some shape, form, or fashion. So while we complain, you know, complain a bit about the Tina effect, in other words, the, the Federal Reserve forcing individuals into high-risk equities because they can't get a return on savings— it's also a function of economic demand. We just simply can't afford to have higher rates because everything we do is in debt, whether, in, in, as we've talked about here recently, surging credit card debt to make ends meet, right? That's some of your highest rate debt, and those, those rates are going higher. Variable rate debt's going up as the Fed hikes interest rates. Variable rate debt goes higher. Again, higher payments means more of my money going to service debt than to spend on other things, Right. So it's all acts to slow the economy, but there's another, you know, kind of dark side to all of this, and 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 we don't talk about this enough. And when I say this, you're going to go, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but higher rates are actually good for you. We should be happy. The Fed is hiking rates. We should be happy that the 10-year Treasury rate is at 3% or more. And, and we should want the 10-year Treasury rate, say, at 5 to 6%. We should want that. Now, that's hard to fathom because we've been in such a long, multi-decade trend of lower rates. But we should want higher rates. And here's why. First of all, if I'm loaning money out in the world, so I'm a lender, I should want higher rates, right? Because I have to loan money, and I take on risk to loaning Brent money, right? I'm going to loan Brent money for 30 years to go buy a mortgage. I should want a rate of return that gives me at least inflation plus over time. So if inflation runs at 2.5% historically, I need to make my I need to make that inflation adjusted rate of return over 30 years plus a little bit more. I need to make some money, right? I need to be profitable. So all of a sudden at four or five percent interest rates, I'm gonna be much more inclined to loan money because now I can loan money for a longer period of time and make a decent rate of return. So that's one thing. So that pushes more money into actual economic development. You know, what we've seen over the last couple of decades is nobody really wants to loan money to the average person because there's too much risk and there's, you know, too little return. And so a lot of this Fed monetary policy, you know, what QE was supposed to do was give banks reserves. They were supposed to loan that to the economy 
and to people in the economy. And that helps economic growth, right? Because I, I loan Brent money. Uh, Brent goes out and starts a business or he builds a house or whatever. And that creates economic activity. But there was no reason to loan Brent money when I could take that same amount of money and invest it through my prop trading desk and trade securities and make a lot more money with less risk than loaning money to Brent for 30 years at 2%, 3%, whatever the number is. So higher rates actually work to push money into economic development because the lender can get a return. Now, what about the other side of this? Well, as savers, now all of a sudden I have an incentive to save money in safer vehicles because I can actually get a rate of return. If I could tell, you know, it's interesting because we meet with a lot of individuals here, you know, every day in our shop. And, you know, it, it's interesting that the average conversation goes, if I can just get 4 to 5% a year on my money, I'm great. That's all I need. I don't need to take a bunch of risk. If I got 4 to 5%, I'm good. I can meet my goals. And that's true. Back in 2000, I could not sell CDs to individuals in, early, in late 1999, early 2000. Because everybody was chasing stocks at that time. And these CDs were yielding 8%. Now, if I could tell you that you could have an 8% FDIC-insured return on your money today, how many of you would raise your hand and go, yeah, give me that? Rule of 72 says, you know, if I can get 8% a year on my money, Rule of 72 says I, I double my money every nine years. So this is the idea, right? When we come back from the break, we'll talk about the dark side of what low interest rates are doing to you and the economy. Because there's an interesting conundrum here because, you know, we're all hoping the Fed is going to pivot and start dropping interest rates back to zero so stocks will go up. But we're actually asking for something that's detrimental to our long-term outcomes. We'll be right back after the break. Into the confusion. Can't you hear the sound that's in the air? investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com inflation touches every aspect of your life no one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation ria advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn thursday august 4th at noon register now at realinvestmentadvice.com there's no magic elixir against inflation our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects register today at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So talking a little bit about low interest rates, and we all want them, right? We all want lower rates because it makes things cheaper, right? I can buy a house for a lower monthly payment, buy a car for less, 
We all like low interest rates. And we like low interest rates because it makes stock prices go up, at least in theory. Right? So if I if I have a zero rate of return on fixed income, then why do I want to own fixed income? I'll buy stocks and that pushes money into equities and people take on more risk, right? Makes complete sense. And now because we've gotten used to that, that's what we kind of argue for. And, you know, this is this is, you know, what we're talking about today with the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve will come out today, raise hike, you know, hike rates by 75 basis points. Probably open the door to another 75 basis point hike in September, which could spook the markets a little bit because that's a little bit more aggressive than uh, the markets are expecting. But we should actually be applauding higher interest rates. And, I, and I, like, as I said in the last segment, I know that seems weird, right? But there's a benefit to higher interest rates. And, and one of the things that we have done over the course of the last decade really two, three, four decades, is that we've had this consistent bend into driving interest rates lower. The Federal Reserve, every time there's a, there's a hiccup in the markets or there's a recession, and this goes back to 1980, the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates, well, to combat that, and that's great. So that pulls down interest rates across the board and people start buying stuff again as they should. But then the Fed starts hiking rates, but we never hike rates higher than they were before. And as a function of that, people were still leveraging up more debt, taking on more debt. That diverts more debt from economic growth. And as a consequence, we've had slower rates of economic growth over time. And a byproduct or a, a contributor to that is, of course, lower interest rates, which increase the amount of debt that people use to make ends meet. The more debt we have, the slower the economic growth is. And there's a high correlation between economic growth, inflation, interest rates, et cetera, over time. And we all know that the consequences of debt, but yet we root for lower interest rates because, well, it just allows us to take on more debt, right? You know, I can take on more debt as long as my payment doesn't change. And lower interest rates will do that for me. But low interest rates also have an economic issue to them. And again, we should be rooting for higher interest rates. We should be wanting higher interest rates because if we have higher interest rates, we'll have higher economic growth. Now, not immediately, right? So if we, if interest rates went to 5%, 6% today, we'd have a terrible recession, right? It'd just lock everything up because we have so much debt. But if we actually allowed a recession to occur, and if we actually allowed the debt cleansing process to occur where we reduce that debt on the books through default, bankruptcies, whatever, right? The economy will begin to revert itself, right? And we'll start to move back towards being a bit more prudent about how we manage our money. Because again, the cost of debt is higher, so now I can't take on as much. Now, importantly here, this would, over time allow for the economy to begin growing faster again because higher interest rates will now attract capital into the actual economy. A lot of these zombie companies that depend on low interest rates in order to refinance debt at low rates to pay their debt, they're going to go out of business, right? So that's going to cleanse a lot of these zombie companies out of the economy and allow new business entrants to come in to take those, to, to take those spots, right? Brent has a zombie company that manufactures widgets as an example, 
right? And he's, bare, you know, he's, he's manufacturing widgets and he's taking up space in the economy. And the way he keeps his business running, he keeps issuing out low interest debt. And so he can pay his shareholders and pay his interest payments, pay his debt, right? And so he's taking up space, though. And in his widget company that he makes, right, you know, I could go in and compete with him. But he's taking up that space. Now, if we raise interest rates to the point that he can't refinance his debt, right, he goes out of business. Now, all of a sudden, that space is open for somebody else to come in and fill that space with a more profitable company. Create more jobs, do a better job at, at running the company, etc. Higher rates will do that. You know, and, and this is and this is the problem. So, so when you have low interest rates and you have negative real interest rates, which we have right now, you have this false sense of solvency and, and security that everything is okay. And you know, this allows for us to run because of low interest rates, we can run higher valuations and equities, right? We can overpay for companies. And that's been the argument much for the last couple of years is that, well, because interest rates are so low, we can pay higher valuations. And so basically you're overpaying for a company that doesn't make any money. Yeah. And you justify that by saying there is no alternative to investing capital in the equity market. So I'm going to take on this excess risk because I can't make anything out of fixed income, which is safe. But yeah, we all want lower interest rates. We all want lower interest rates, even though it has a negative impact on economic growth, financial stability, and economic prosperity over time. But see, these are the decisions that we make. And, and we make these decisions across the board. You know, we make decisions politically based upon expediency of what makes people feel better right now, rather than what makes people feel better over the long term, right? All these people right now, you know, begging for socialism because socialism gives me free stuff. The long-term economic impacts of that are terrible. But I'm hurting right now, so please do something for me right now. You know, it's surprising. The entire economic consensus recognizes that the rate cuts in the early 2000s led to repeated bubbles in the markets. We had the dot-com crash. Then we had the financial real estate-related crash because of low interest rates, subprime mortgages, all that. Now we've got one of the biggest asset bubbles ever in the history of the world that we have not deflated by any stretch of the imagination. We have it in housing and debt and equities and everything all at once, right? This is We have multiple bubbles, you know, financially speaking, because of negative interest rates. Negative to low, low to negative interest rates. And not just domestically, but globally. And as I, as I talked about yesterday, because of these low interest rates and all this monetary intervention, all these fiscal you know, policies that we've done, we've elevated stock returns four full percentage points on average above their long-term average going back to 1900. It's unsustainable. The markets can't grow faster than the economy over time without negative, low to negative interest rates. 
But again, you have this very negative impact because of that in the economy. You have repeated bubbles and busts. You have people lose money on the equity side. Um, you can't make any money in safe investments, so people shun those to take on more risk, which winds up negative impacting their financial wealth over time. And what we wind up with is a bigger wealth gap because those at the top of the ladder that can that own 90% of the stock market, they've got enough wealth as the market goes down. It doesn't really impact their lifestyle much, but for everybody else, that bottom 90%, you know, real changes to real wealth mean a lot considering that most of them don't have more than a year's worth of salary saved up to start with for retirement. And they're all focusing on having Social Security to collect from. And as we just wrote on our website here just recently, that's a $96 trillion graveyard that's sitting there that isn't going to get fixed because all politicians can figure out how to do is to put more people on the rolls of Social Security and fewer people are paying into it. So these are problems. And it's surprising that as politicians and as individuals and as you know the media we're all wanting we're all begging right now for lower interest rates we're all watching the fed go oh my gosh they're gonna hike 75 basis points what if they hike another 75 basis points in in september that could be terrible right we need lower interest rates got to get the economy going in well you know this is akin to life support and this is what we've been doing for the last 30 years. We've got a patient. He's on life support. Every time you try to take the patient off life support, he starts to crash again. So you got to put him right back on life support. Keep him alive. You know, the problem is, is we've got an economy that doesn't have a do not resuscitate order in place. Right? So, you know, we keep trying to, to resuscitate an economy that needs to be allowed to expire so it can grow again. I know that sounds you know, counterintuitive, but we didn't get into this level of, of debt and deficits and financial engineering, et cetera, overnight. We're not going to get out of it overnight, and we can't get out of it pain-free. You know, we all want to fix the problem. Everybody's nodding their head. Yeah, we got a debt problem. We need to, you know, we need to budget, right? We need to have a budget in Washington. We need to cut spending, get, reduce the debt. Yeah, sounds great. And as soon as we elect people to go to Washington, what's the first thing they do? They run up more debt. Why? Because it's expedient. It's easy to get you voted, get you elected. Nobody really wants to go through the effort to create long-term economic prosperity and economic wealth for everyone because the amount of pain you've got to go through in the short term would be well worth it long term, right? But we just won't want to do that. All right, quick break. We'll come back. Wrap up the show as the markets get ready to open. Futures pointing nicely higher this morning. Uh, out of the gate, we'll talk um, a little bit more about that. Don't go away. Get, get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com.
Inflation touches every aspect of your life. No one can avoid it because we're living in an inflation nation. RIA Advisors has a nine-step inflation battle plan, and we're sharing it with you in a special summer lunch and learn, Thursday, August 4th at noon. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's no magic elixir against inflation. Our nine-step plan can help you blunt inflation's effects. Register today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So, as I said earlier, you know, Federal Reserve, of course, is going to hike interest rates today. Question is only really not what they do today, but really what their outlook is. And and again, you know, while as we were talking about in the last couple of segments, while we all kind of want lower interest rates because it allows for us to buy more, do more, etc. And certainly help stock prices. So if you're you know if your whole focus is the stock market and and you just want stock prices to go up, lower interest rates will certainly do that for you. I mean this is the whole thing everybody's looking for right now is like when's the Fed going to pivot back to QE, right? Get back to increasing that balance sheet and, you know, lower those interest rates to zero because that makes stocks go up. And we've trained people to do this for like 12 years now. And that's really kind of part of the hope here and part of the rally this morning is that maybe the Fed, you know, this kind of whisper, right? Maybe the Fed will pivot, right? Maybe they'll, maybe they'll talk about slowing the rates down. Kind of a pause, right? To, to wait and see, a, a kind of a wait and see approach to the economy. Uh, again, as, I, as we were saying in the last segment, it's not that great for us, right? I mean, we want, you know, we're, what we're asking for is not great for us. You know, it's kind of like uh, we, we talk a lot on the show about, you know, health and diet and exercise. And, and the reason is, is, you know, nobody wants to do that, right? Nobody wants to go work out. It's just not fun. But, if you know, the alternative is, is that we cannot do that. We cannot take care of ourselves. We cannot exercise. We cannot eat right, not go see our doctors. And then we'll spend $350,000 in retirement and be in and out of hospitals a whole lot. And that's not really a, a great way to spend your retirement money or your retirement is being in and out of hospitals and being unhealthy. I mean, that's not what we, what we hope for. You know, we all, it's always interesting, you know, when you watch television all these financial advisory companies you know they show an old couple on the beach or sitting on their boat or whatever and you know they're enjoying their retirement it's great they don't show the guy that's you know you know pretty overweight laying in a hospital bed you know on resuscitation you know (laughs) like you know yes ubs it's you and us and you want to spend retirement we're there for you right nobody ever shows you that right because that's not gonna that's not gonna sell advice but that's what you know unfortunately this is what a vast majority of americans are looking forward to in retirement because we haven't taken care of ourselves and and this is the same thing with the economy though right we keep we keep saying look we can just eat cupcakes every day and it's fine. It's not hurting me right now. Sure, I gained a little bit of weight eating cupcakes every day. But long term, it has very negative consequences. And so we keep wanting, you know, the Federal Reserve and the government to keep giving us cupcakes every day. And it's great because, you know, we like cupcakes. But we also inherently know 
that if we eat cupcakes all day long, every day, that there is a negative outcome for that, right? We all inherently know that, but, you know, we want to ignore it. And it always fascinates me. It's like, you know, if you talk about, there's always the guy, right? When you're having a conversation with somebody, he's like, you're saying, smoking's bad for you. My uncle smoked for 80 years and never got cancer, right? There's always that guy, right? <laughs> My dad ate cupcakes for 50 years and never gained an ounce. Okay, there's always one guy, right? So, but you, you get the point, right? We know that scientifically not taking care of ourselves leads to negative outcomes. We also know economically that the choices that we're making are not great for us financially long term, but we do it because ah, we like it right now. You know, you know I can't tell you how many people I, I, I visit with that you know, they're approaching retirement pretty quick, haven't saved a penny, and now they're getting serious. Now, now it's time to get, you know, it's, it's they're five years from retirement. Now I want to start saving for retirement. How do I, you know, how do I get from zero to a million dollars in five years? You, to get from zero to a million dollars in five years, you're going to need to save $250,000, $200,000 a year. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's how you get there. Um, you know, you, you can't make up for the lost time. And the choices that we're making are eating up that time that we have. And, and again, you know, we don't care about this stuff in the short term. All we want right now is we want lower interest rates because lower interest rates will get our stock prices to go up. And then that will help us get towards our financial goals. That's awesome. But we, we don't really recognize the long-term economic consequences that we're building into our system. And it's not just for us, right? You know, it's interesting. You know, we're all focused on climate change, right? Got to get rid of CO2 emissions because CO2 emissions and greenhouse gases are, are destroying the climate. We're all going to look, you know, so that we live on a dynamic planet. There's no evidence that one factor alone is, is creating climate change. But that's the one we chose to focus on, right? So if you want to get rid of CO2, right, just wipe out half the human population and, and you, solve your, you solve your climate change problem pretty quick, right? We don't want to do that, right? We want to figure out every other thing we can do not to do that. <laughs> and it's kind of the same thing with the markets. We're trying to figure out every other way possible to try to get to where we want to go without attacking the one thing that is the problem. Because we don't like that. And so this is just, you know, this is the part that we have to consider. Now, markets are going to be up today. And as we talked about, you know, at the beginning of the show, this is actually... A, a continuation of this bit more optimistic look at where we are in the trend right now, right? Over the last three, four weeks, the markets have been rallying fairly nicely. We've been talking about it here on the show, talking about, you know, if we can break above, you know, the downtrend, that's bullish, and we can get above the 50-day moving average, that's better. We did that. Talked about we needed a retest of the 50-day moving average and the market to hold that level of support. Well, we tested that 50-day moving average yesterday. If the market can hold this rally today, we'll have a good successful retest of that previous resistance, turning it into support. These are all good bullish things, right? Short-term suggest higher prices. There's going to be a lot of talk now in the media talking about is the bottom in, right? Markets are suggesting that we're going to you know, avoid a recession now because stocks are clearly pointing to the upside and, and you know, stocks, even stocks that are missing app, you know, Microsoft and Google today. 
Missed earnings revenues yesterday, and stocks are trading up nicely this morning, suggesting that a lot of that bad data, those that that uh, kind of the the negativity, has now all been priced into stocks. Now I don't know if that's the case or not. The action is bullish, no doubt about it, and we need to pay attention to that. But there's a lot of economic data that says, well, you know, maybe things aren't getting better just yet. You know, there's, there's, there's some indications out there that we're not yet, you know, through whatever this economic cycle is, is that we're in. Consumer confidence uh, yesterday declined a bit more as, as consumers are more concerned about higher interest rates. Now, again, the Fed's going to hike interest rates today. That's going to tighten that monetary policy even more. So the concerns that consumers are showing through not only their, their confidence surveys, but also their actions, right? Again, Walmart yesterday talking about slower retail traffic. It was interesting this morning. I, I posted a graphic on uh, my Twitter page. And it, and it basically ranks the world's largest retailers. And it was a graphic that Brent had given me this morning. Walmart, Amazon, Costco, Kroger's, etc. These are the world's largest retailers. Walmart is twice as large as Amazon. And that's kind of hard to believe because if you kind of look around the world, I mean, everybody's like, Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. You know, my wife, you know, every, everything she buys is from Amazon. You know, Walmart dwarfs them. So if Walmart is seeing slower retail foot traffic in their stores, that has, and I, and I posted this graph this morning, and, and a guy you know, tweeted me back. He's like, well, this is an inventory management problem, and, and you should blame management for that. Slower retail foot traffic is not an inventory problem, right? <laughs> that's people having less money to spend, and that's what's happening. And we're seeing that across the board. And we're likely going to see that through a lot of more of these reports. You know, Amazon is uh, set to report, I believe, uh, next week. So it'll be interesting to see what they say about their ordering traffic. Now, you know, they just had a really big prime day. Amazon did. But they had to discount items heavily to generate those sales. I mean, they had like up to 89% off on a television. So, I mean, you're talking about really slashing prices to move inventory. And, and so, but that is a function of consumption. And, you know, we're starting, we're, and we're still seeing evidence that the economy is getting weaker as the Fed continues to hike interest rates, which is exactly what the Fed wants, right? They're hiking interest rates in order to slow economic growth, which will bring down those inflationary pressures that will cause lower prices because of less demand. So have stocks actually priced in the bottom of the market? It's hard, right? It's hard to say that that is a fact because we're still seeing more economic weakness coming. But markets tend to predict and begin to adjust for turns in that data. So we can't discount the market entirely and say the market's wrong, right? The market's clearly suggesting something here. The question is, is do they have it right? Are they early? Or is this just a reflexive rally and a continuation of a bear market? Unfortunately, there is no clear answer, and we won't know. What we have to do is we have to navigate the market for what it is, understand what the market is right now, and make adjustments accordingly. 
We'll see what happens today. We need to make sure and hold this rally through the rest of this week. Again, as I said before, the retest of the 50-day is fine. The bounce off of it is fine. We've got to hold it through the end of the week. So if the markets can hold above the 50-day moving average through Friday, that's a much more bullish setup for stocks, at least in the short term. All right, that wraps up the show for the day. Three minutes on markets and money coming right up. Get by the website. Um, check out our latest blog post by Michael Leibowitz talking about inflation or recession. That's on the website now at realinvestmentadvice.com. See you back here tomorrow.